You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Amen. If you will, take your Bibles this morning and turn to John chapter 4 today. John chapter 4, appreciate your participation and entrance into worship this morning and grateful for uh, what God is doing in our hearts and in our midst. And uh, just wanted to follow up with the video we began with today. Uh, we're grateful for those in the room who have served in our armed forces and uh, we would categorize as veterans today as well as families of veterans and all the sacrifices that have been made. This coming Thursday will be the observance of that day and so we're grateful for those who have served and those who currently serve in that capacity we're grateful for you and trust that you sense that this morning john chapter 4 today we're going to look at verse 19 through verse 24 we're beginning a new series today looking at the word on worship and specifically looking at what the bible has to say about worship um, love the new song we introduced today with josh and miss rachel and i were at a conference earlier this fall and we're introduced to that song, and that's a powerful song, and I hope it just kind of, even maybe your toe tapped a little bit, okay, as you, or whatever the case may be, it moved you, I hope it did, not just physically, but in your soul, and uh, grateful for uh, the emphasis on worship in our church, but our series that we're going to be looking at through the month of November, so this will build to Thanksgiving, and then we'll end this the last Sunday of November, Lord willing, I will be just looking at what the Word of God has to say about worship and I think two things I would say before we begin. Number one, we use worship sometimes too narrowly. Um, and by that, I mean we only think of it in the sense of the last 15 minutes or so we spent together when worship is much broader than that. We also struggle with a bit of narrow-mindedness, uh, our own take or thoughts on it uh, as it relates to maybe stylistically or preferential kind of things. And so we're not going to wander into a lot of that in our study, uh, only uh, where the Word of God speaks to that. But I hope that these next four weeks together as we build toward Thanksgiving and Christmas, uh, that God will use this in your heart as He is mine. All right, John chapter 4 today. Let's look, if you will, at verse 19. And we've studied this text at other times as it relates to the woman at the well would be the story. But we pick up in verse 19 in the middle of this dialogue an interesting and insightful text as it relates to worship. So the woman is at the well, Christ has these initial words with her, and after saying that she's been married multiple times and now living with a man that's not her husband, verse 19, the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet, John 4, 19. Now verse 20, our fathers worshipped. Now she begins to pivot to a, a distracting or a, a secondary discussion because of the conviction in her heart. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when thou shalt neither worship in this mountain, nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye, verse 22, worship ye know not what, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Notice these next two verses, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must, notice that, must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so we want to begin today by looking at, we're going to look at four words. The first one today is this, worship, worshipers receive. The word today, key word today is the word receive. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. 
Thank you for the fact that it contains in it, it it embodies uh, within its lines everything that pertains to life and godliness. We believe it is sufficient to speak to the issues of our day and the the ever-abiding questions and tensions that we navigate as believers and as we interact with others with a bit of a different take in some of these areas. And I pray today you'd help us to let your word ring true and to direct and guide our thoughts and our direction and even how we interact with others who may see things a bit differently. I pray that you would guide um, your uh, preacher today. Lord, help me to be controlled and guided by your spirit and aligned with your word. And I pray that each of us would leave more in step with you as we seek to be faithful worshipers of you until you come for us. Bless this study, be honored in it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Worshipers receive. The other day I came across an interesting article. I wanted to show you a picture of this gentleman um, this man's name uh, is Mo uh, Gaudet, G-A-W-D-A-T, and uh, Mo is known in Silicon Valley as one of the gurus of um, the front edges or the new uh, frontiers of technology, and specifically he's been dealing with over the last number of years, he's worked for Google, uh, he's worked in other settings, but he's working with artificial intelligence as one of his main places of expertise. The article got my attention because this, what they would call a super geek, the the article said, believes that we face an uh, apocalyptic threat from artificial intelligence. And so he is uh, putting out there some of the things that are behind maybe closed doors or behind the curtain, if you will, of what technology companies are assembling right now. And the part that jumped out to me was this part of the article where it says the former Google executive says he glimpsed the apocalypse in a robotic arm, or rather in a bunch of robot arms, all being developed together, an arm farm, kind of a little tongue-in-cheek joke there in the article. He said this, for a long time, he said, we were sitting there getting nowhere, then one day an arm picked up a yellow ball and showed it proudly to the camera. Just the arm by itself reached out and grabbed a ball and showed it to the camera that was monitoring these, these, these arms that possessed artificial intelligence. And he is saying, again, we're not going to go here today, this, there's a point in this illustration that he views that as a threat to the, survive, the survival of the human race. That's his premise. Now, with that being said, do you notice something in the corner of the picture? Did you notice it? What's, what is it? An idol. Can I say to you today, the greatest threat to not just civilization and to us as Bible-believing Christians, it's not AI today. I'm not, we're not going to go there today. We all have maybe our take on that. Some of you are like, what is that? Uh, I would love to live in that, that realm with you and that maybe ignorance is bliss kind of existence. But AI is not our greatest threat today. It is artificial worship. It is fashioning our God in, on our terms and we worship Him in our way. And I want to encourage you today to consider where you have done so, and as God has been working in me where I have done so, may we receive from God the clear instructions on how and when and where to worship. So let's talk about today this idea of worshipers receive. Far too often, just by way of introduction today, our standards on worship are shaped by reactions to humanly manufactured or dependent either traditions, that would be one end of the spectrum, or trendiness. It's very uh, it's very oriented to human takes or thoughts as it relates to worship. And what we tend to do is we lean one way or the other, and then the opposite is really bad. So how I view worship is really good, 
and how they view it, if again, it's only about our own thoughts on this matter, uh, they are really quote-unquote bad. And so may I call you today back to the revelation of God's Word and the application of it by His Spirit to be the standard of our worship. And I just want to say this as we go into these next four weeks. The spirit of this series is not to try to take a position uh, on a certain uh, front as it relates to a certain generation or a certain set of preferences, and then uh, on behalf of that generation or preference, batter or badger uh, the other side. We are looking to God uh, for his leadership. And this would be a key statement. If you would jot this down today, if you're taking notes there in your bulletin, here's the statement. An author I was reading said this, it takes God to worship God. It takes God to worship God. And so we cannot, listen to me, brethren, listen to me that are visiting with us today, we cannot worship God without him giving us instructions. And what I love about God is now does he want our worship and he has pretty high expectations as it relates to worship, but then he gives us what we need to know to be faithful worshipers. And so it takes God to worship God. So the question today is this, in a a day of manufactured worship, how do we instead let God alone be the one to define and direct our worship? Let's look at today two gifts from God that he has given us that we must be recipients of if we're to manage worship in a way that pleases Him. The first gift that we are recipients of is God's Word. And so the first gift today there in your notes that God has provided for us that we are to receive fully, it is God's Word. The other day I heard a lady who was sharing about her husband and her were sitting on the couch and they were watching TV or whatever they were doing. They were just kind of had their feet propped up and they were relaxing and Suddenly, as they were sitting there, the wife was sharing, as she's sitting on the couch with her husband, she heard her, her phone vibrate, as in a notification, and she had left her phone in the kitchen on the island there. And so she said, suddenly, I, I hear a text notification on my phone in the kitchen. I go to check it, and it's a text from my husband, please bring the chips back on your way back to the couch. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that so wrong? But ladies, you can attest to, that's, that's us guys, isn't it? We're just, we're lazy. We're, we're, we, we use words to, to manipulate. We use words to accomplish our own uh, agenda. May I just say to you today, as it relates to worship, worship never begins with us. Worship begins with the text of God's Word. That's where worship begins. And I just want to lovingly challenge you today. Many of us, our sense on worship is steeped in another source, either a, a, an adherence to how we were raised, a reaction to how we were raised, a, 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 an adherence to our generation or a reaction to another generation. We're not allowing the Word of God to be uh, what directs and guides our, our worship. And so God's Word is a gift to us as it relates to worship. Worship begins with revelation. Worship begins with redemption, and all of that is connected to, intricately connected to uh, the Word of God. All right, let's talk about a couple of subpoints under that as it relates to the text this morning uh, in this area of how do we receive God's Word? How do I practically receive it uh, to strengthen and to sanctify my worship before the Lord? Number one, jot this down, not on the slides, but there in your notes. We receive, through the Word of God, the manual of worship from God's Word. We receive the manual of worship from God's Word. I was doing the math in our church just as a point of reference, and I'm grateful for your partnership in this. 
but worship tends to be relegated only to singing. And I was doing the math. Typically, in any given service that we have, the ratio of singing to, to study of God's Word is about four to one. So we sing for one part, and then the preacher preaches for four times that amount, if you follow the drift. So some of you are like, oh no, what's that mean? How long did we have again singing? This is going to be a long service. And may I just say today, that's not because the preacher is long-winded, though that probably is the case in some ways. You get up here for week after week, and time just flies when you're here. I know it doesn't where you sit today, but it does go quickly when you're the guy up front. Can I just say to you, as it relates to the Word of God and worship, as one author said, the preached Word is not the conclusion of worship, it is the summit of worship. Our singing to God, even the songs that we just entered into, why were they so meaningful? Because they're built upon the text of God's Word. I love that Brother Josh led a new song, led with the Scriptures, and then we sang about that very text. Um, it is the Word of God and, and, and the proclamation of God's Word. And so they're not separate entities. They are all a part of uh, worship. And so the manual of our worship must be the Word of God, not some catchy lyrics or some personality that's driving the rhythm of that song. It must be uh, the Word of God. All right, let's talk about a couple of things quickly underneath of that. Number one, the Word of God provides the manual to navigate opinion. Look back at the text now. So the first thing that the Bible helps us with as a manual in worship is to navigate opinions about worship. Have you noticed people have opinions about worship? Um, as, as a pastor, can I just tell you, I have, I, that's, I'd spend a lot of time talking about people's take on worship. Um, and it's often really endearing and fun, and other times it's a bit convoluted, to be honest with you. But worship is uh, often, it evokes in us opinions. And if you look here in verse 19, it says this, The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. And so this woman now senses the, the confrontation, the conviction, the perception of God, uh, of this man before her, this prophet as she supposes, and she begins to move the conversation toward that which is opinion-oriented. May I just say to you today, before we get to verse 20, that our best intentions and even our best perceptions without the Word of God, will always underestimate God. She has God before her, and the, the highest she can think of is this man must be a prophet. And when we're running on just our opinions and our worship, we will always have a lesser view of God than He rightfully deserves. It's only through the lens of God's Word that we can fully appreciate who He is and how high and holy and lifted up, and yet how condescending and gracious and merciful this God is to us. And so we see her underestimating the God before her. Look at verse 20. As she pivots the conversation, which you ladies are so gifted in doing. Verse 20. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and ye say that, ye in, uh, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And so instead of confessing her sin that Jesus has just confronted and repenting of that, she brings in this ancient dispute. Just a bit of backstory on this briefly. The Samaritans believed the religion of, the, of Samaria held that the one place of divinely ordered worship was on Mount Gerizim, whereas the Jews, as we know based on Scripture, believed that that worship was to be conducted on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And so this age-old battle, this debate, this discussion is brought up. Just a sidebar here this morning, without God's Word, we will over-focus upon the opinions of others in our worship, and we will look to those who agree with us and get consumed and focused on that, or those that maybe disagree with us, or focus too much on the opinions of others. 
Thursday and Friday, some of our teens, uh, Pastor Dave, Miss Brandy, myself, Miss Michelle, and a few other parents, uh, Richardsons and uh, Kishes, we took our kids down to the Ark Encounter, uh, AIG, Answers in Genesis, and they had a college uh, day, so some of the upperclassmen went uh, to that as they pray about what God has for them next. And uh, we were walking through the Ark Encounter. If you haven't been there, you need to go. I've been there now twice, and I, I, there's so much still that I, I missed the first time, and I'm sure I missed uh, this past week as I was there again. But there's a scene there where it shows Cain and Abel. And as they were bringing their sacrifices to God, and, and as we know the story goes, the first murder, right? Cain kills his brother Abel. Why? Because Abel's sacrifice was accepted. Hebrews 11 says because he did it by faith. As to the story, Cain was doing his own works. He was doing it his own way. In one way, is not that account in the beginning of human history, is that not the first worship moment? And because they had difference of opinion, at least Cain was focused on opinion, the first worship service had a murder. That, that's where a human opinion leads us. We turn on each other, uh, we turn away from God, and we begin to focus on lesser uh, things And so we see this division that Christ is going to rise above and not over-engage in as, as this lady brings up in verse number 20. And so the Word of God helps us to navigate human opinion. Here it is. You should not care what I have to say about worship or how I feel about it. And to be honest with you, I should not care and feel too much about how you feel about worship. What does God's Word say? That is the foundation of everything we live and breathe and do under the banner of worship. All right, look at verse 21. Jesus saith unto her, so he's, he's listened to her and her initial responses to what he has just brought to bear in her life. Jesus saith unto her, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when thou shalt neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship uh, the Father. Number two, jot this down, the manual, number two, of God's word to navigate subjectivity. The word there is subjectivity. So you have human opinion, but then you have, you know what, I'm not really against your opinion, but I, let's just all do our own thing. So this would be another approach to worship. It's not your opinion versus mine. Let's just all do whatever we feel uh, is best. And it's funny to me, and I'm not, the agenda of this series is not to pick on those that are ahead of me in age or to uh, pick on those that are behind me in life stage. But one of the things I often hear is songs are repetitive. Have you ever heard that? The newer stuff's too repetitive. Um, and I would admit at times it is too repetitive. All right, I'll yield that. Songs that are done under the name of Christ. But this was interesting to me. Have you ever thought of this? New worship songs repeat too much. Like, that's why I prefer classics like when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, when it's called up yonder, one more time, I'm going to be there, Okay. <laughs> That, that's more meaningful in its lyrics. I'm not, again, mocking that song. I like that song. But can we admit at least that the reason it's a good song is not because it's not repetitious? You see how we get into subjectiveness uh, if we're not uh, bound by and directed by the Word of God. And so the Word of God must be what navigates our subjectivity. There are songs I just like because I like them. And I don't like them because I don't like them. We have to be very careful with that as it relates to our worship before God. Because it's we're do, trying to do and be what He likes, what He loves, what pleases and honors Him, not how we feel on a given subject. And so without God's chapter and verse, we tend to try to make worship about repeating our era of preferences and sensibilities, whether that's traditional or trendy, instead of what does God want 
uh, in worship. And so Jesus masterfully here navigates the subjectivity that's been uh, introduced into this conversation. And notice a key word. We'll come back to it in a moment. He says in verse 22, ye worship ye what? No, not. Not feelings, but knowledge. It's, it's built upon truth. And he's saying you're worshiping ye Samaritans, you Samaritans, you're worshiping in ignorance. And so Jesus begins to confront her lack of knowledge that was woefully deficient and even the geography that she was focused upon and he's trying to reveal to her who God is. All right, a couple things about that. In verse 21, you see that he doesn't avoid her comment. He uses it to teach her something further. And that's the spirit today. if, If you're underdeveloped in this era of your theology, what we're covering today is not to try to mock you or to marginalize where you're at. It's to take this another step and to do so in the direction that God's word would dictate. And so he tells her that neither will they worship in Mount Gerizim, which, by the way, is where Jesus is at. He's where they claim they should be worshiping. That's interesting. Nor in Jerusalem, where the Jews uh, had worshiped. And so it's, it's bigger than that. Now, may I say this before we move on? For some of you that the, the tongue-in-cheek comment of the role is called up yonder, you do see and you're concerned about the emotionalism that often is under the banner of Christian so-called worship. Uh, Ken Ham, I was thinking of you, did I just, she was with us as well. Ken Ham addressed that. The way to resolve the issues in our churches is not to turn the lights way down and amp up the music and have lights and show. That, that's not a way forward in and of itself to, to, to grow the church and to ground the church in generations to come. And so may I say this as well to temper that comment, if worship has been decentralized, and really we are today the temple of God, right? If, if we have the spirit living within us, we are the earthly dwelling place of God. We need God's word more because of that. Because me by myself, I, I'm subject to my own feelings and my own takes and my own reactions. And so we're not saying in any way that, that, that the framework of our, our worship should be less than honoring to God. We must let the Word of God purge out not just the subjectivity of others, but the subjectivity that often we have. All right, verse 22. He says, again, as we read a moment ago, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. And so he condemns the Samaritan's mode of worship because it was not built upon knowledge. The Lord informed this woman that the worship of the Samaritans was not authorized by God, neither was it approved by him. It had been invented by man. What did he use to base that on? The word of God. He's going to get to that in just a moment. It was not sanctioned by the word of God. And so he confronts her there with that truth. But notice the end of verse 22. He says, for salvation is of the Jews. What is he saying? Our way is better. We know more. No, he's saying salvation The gospel has been entrusted to the Jews. They've been given the word of God. Who was given the scriptures? The Jewish people to this point. Um, The Messiah came through the lineage of the Jewish line. And so the gospel, the salvation that that we enjoy today came through this faithful adherence to uh, this kind of worship. And so may we be faithful to steward well what God has entrusted to us. Brother Joshua attests to this. I'm very involved in as the senior pastor of this church, the worship services. Not just when I get up to preach. We, we collaborate on, on what we do as a church. The music that we do, the way we do music. I view that as something someday I'll answer for. And here's why that's important. 
not because I'm comfortable when I'm here, but because that either helps or hurts our gospel witness to the world that's listening and watching. The doctrine, the lyrics, the associations, all of that matters if we have salvation, if we're the ones called to, to proclaim that salvation, our worship, our worship matters. And so may we be faithful uh, to support that as God leads. Um, one author I was reading said this, we can't worship God apart from his word. It defines, it directs, and it inspires our worship. Listen to this word, this sentence. Scripture provides doctrinal fuel for our emotional fire. I love that doctrinal fuel for our emotional fire. And that's my question to you in your own worship, the sphere that you control the worship in your life, what's the fuel of that emotional fire? If God's just your girlfriend or whatever, you know, we have all kinds of expressions we use, but if it's being fueled just by your own feelings and moods and whims, the fuel of our worship must be uh, the doctrine of God's Word. All right, a couple thoughts on this and we'll move to our second point this morning. Can I give you two misconceptions? I don't know if this is in your notes today. I didn't look to check, but misconceptions about worship. Would you jot down these two statements if they're not there? These are two ways we get it wrong with worship as it relates to God's Word. Number one, we believe that worship is more about emotions than words. So we feel like worship is a feeling thing, and it's more about emotions than it is about words. And often we get off with that when we assume that it, that is true. Worship is more about emotions than words. Uh, most who struggle with this, and this may be you today, think of preaching as a mind thing and worship as a heart thing. In fact, they would be thrilled if the sermon was cut back and there was more singing and there was more worship and there was more emotionally oriented activity in a given service. Uh, also, this attitude might be reflected in a dislike for songs that are kind of wordy, um, there, there's a lot of scripture that interrupts the worship, if you will, quote unquote, and viewing those things as being at odds with one another. Um, the other day I read of a couple, I don't know if you ever thought of this, a couple who meets, especially nowadays with meeting online, where they're of different ethnicities and they fall in love. And I was reading a story of a couple who had that experience. Um, he spoke English and she spoke Russian. And uh, having been in that part of the world just once in a significant way for about 10 weeks, I, it, you know, I, could, I could say da, that was about as far as I could go, which is yes, I think. Um, and there was another word, no, no was the same. So we could get that, no, I don't know Russian, you know, no, I could say no. Um, but thinking of that dynamic with, with a couple that's fallen in love. And so the story was of this, this husband and wife, he spoke English, she spoke Russian. And the story was talking about once they realized they were drawn to each other, they knew that looks, emotions, and gestures were inadequate as a foundation for a potential marriage. And so one of them, I can't remember which one it was, learned the language of the other. Can I tell you with God that ultimately our relationship with God is not just this mystical, emotional experience. It, it requires words. Words that issue forth from and are aligned with these words, with this word. And so our worship is not separate from the words of God. They actually are enhanced. It is enhanced uh, by it. And so we need not just emotions. We also need the words. All right, the second one, quickly. We often struggle with this second misperception of worship. Worship is more about the spirit than about the word. So it's either about emotions. That was the first one. Secondly, it's more about the spirit than it is about, uh, about the Word of God. 
Um, we've had nights of worship. We just had one this fall in Orville. We had one earlier in the summer here at our church. And sometimes it's almost like, well, this is just singing time now. And, and sometimes if we're not careful, we're conveying that. We're not including scripture. We're not building worship to be in line with the word of God. The spirit and the word are not the antithesis of one another. Uh, they are perfectly aligned. And so our spirit-filled worship needs to be evaluated by and submitted to the word of God. Um, this would be another statement you could jot down in your notes that I think is very powerful today. Every church or individual Christian who claims to be spirit-led must be word-fed. Jot that down. Every spirit-filled church and believer um, that claims to be spirit-led must be word-fed. And I think we would do well, brethren, to evaluate and scrutinize what we're feeding our soul and what we're even singing to our God based upon that standard. Spirit-led believers are fed. They're saturated with the Word of God. And so may we receive that today, not, cho- or not resist that or chafe under that. May we be recipients of where God's Word uh, brings application. Um, Even in our church, how we choose music, I I think it matters. The lyrics matter, and their alignment with the Word of God. We're not not panicky about it. We may use a song that at one point was written or used by someone else, but is it in truth, intrinsically, is it aligned with God's Word? We need not catchy tunes. We need need constructed-on-the-Word-of-God kind of lyrics and tunes. It needs to be built upon uh, the Word of God. So we listen with care. We lead with conviction as it relates to worship and the Word. Worship is not more about the Spirit than the Word. They are working in harmony with one another. All right, this application, quickly, and then we'll move to the next verse in our text. Would you be willing today to admit that any faithful worship of God in your life is only because God revealed Himself to you? And would you allow that same Word to be the only standard moving forward that guides and sustains your worship. We didn't find God by ourselves, brethren, did we? We who know Christ, it was the Word. It was hearing the Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so if we're going to go forward for God, we must let His Word continue to guide and sustain our worship. All right, go down to verse 25. We'll come back to the verses we skipped in just a moment. But look at verse 25. So the woman hears the words we just read, as well as some some verses we'll get to in a moment. Notice her response. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh. That's just a Greek transliteration of Messiah, the Old Testament term, which is, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Verse 26, Jesus saith unto her, I, I that speak unto thee, am he. Number two, jot this down. So from the word we receive the manual of worship. Number two, we receive the hero, the hero of worship. So in God's Word, we find not just the manual on how to do worship, but who worship is all about, who is the hero of our worship. This past week, my son Ian, who is getting ready to start basketball, he and Landon are starting basketball, they're practicing, and um, their games, I think, start just before Thanksgiving. Uh, and basketball season is a long season. It goes over, it's a great season for the record, especially when you have kids playing, but it, it's a long season. We're getting ready to go into that season just a week or two. And so, of course, uh, basketball shoes. I mean, that's like the reason you play, okay? Uh, you know, and so he got some new basketball shoes, and his dad may have put a few bucks in on that purchase. And uh, he purchased uh, their uh, Kyrie's, uh, Kyrie Irvin, who plays for the uh, Brooklyn, or he, he, at least on the roster still, the Brooklyn Nets. 
And uh, so he bought those. And the shoes are being sold under Kyrie Irving, this professional basketball player's name. But they are a tribute to a guy you may have heard of named Kobe. So they're Kyrie Kobe's, which is kind of a weird thing. And I paid for that double <laughs> sponsorship, okay? Um, and I was, I was, you know, I was excited for them. And I, I, they, they are neat-looking shoes. But I was kind of like, come on, we're supporting these millionaires, you know, with, and, you know, the, the family of these millionaires for years to come as we invest in these shoes. And then I remembered yours truly and, and my own high school days and the things I invested in. My hero, you may have heard of him, a guy named Michael Jordan. And uh, that involved me buying armbands. I always had one here on my left forearm, which just for some reason, Michael Jordan also wore his, you know, so you could wipe your forehead between dunks, you know, of course, all of us who do that. And, uh, and then when I would drive, I would, my tongue tended to slip out of my mouth just a bit. Not, not too many dunks were the end of that tongue wagging moment in my career, but I, I imitated him. Can I just ask you today, who is worship all about? And here's what I want to challenge you with today. A lot of our issue on this front, brethren, is this. We've made worship and the hero of worship us. In some way, We've manipulated this, even in a way we're not fully aware of or honest about with integrity, we've made the hero of worship in part us. And here's the only way I've found to keep that and to fight that tendency out of my life is by staying in this book and remembering our God, remembering how glorious he is and letting Jesus specifically be the hero of worship. A couple things under that very quickly. Number one, the word of God gives us the hero that will teach us comprehensively. He will teach. Worship is didactic in nature. Worship is not meant just to be felt and to be emotionally processed. It's meant to teach us. And Jesus, only when he is the hero, can worship truly teach us and reveal to us about God what God wants us to know. And so in verse 25, you notice this woman intuitively as she listens to Jesus, she, she considers the Messiah and maybe this is he and and, and because of that, she says, I know when the Messiah is come, he will teach us all things. And one of the, the conclusions of the Old Testament is this. When you get to the end of the Old Testament, man on his own is not able to figure God out. He needs someone to come and to connect the dots and to bring relationship between God and man. And so he sends at the dawn of the New Testament, Jesus, his son, to be the one to reveal all things to us. Jesus is God's ultimate statement that he will provide a way for us to know and to be able to do worship before him, not just in this life, but in eternity. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, it says this, let the word of Christ, notice that word, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And so Jesus teaches us, he grows us through worship, but only when he is the hero. And a lot of the ignorance in our worship is because we are the hero of our worship. Here's what I prefer, here's my playlist, here's my whatever, here's my take, instead of it being about Christ. When it's about Christ, then he can teach us even through this gift of worship. I was reading the other day, I, I read several, I think it's been maybe a year or so ago, a biography about George Washington, the first president of the United States. And uh, during the, the early years of the Revolutionary War, I think it was in 1777, he complained that the music of the army 
was in general very bad. That's how he categorized it. And so he ordered the drum and his fife majors that they would exert themselves to improve it. It was just funny to think about this dialogue, you know. I mean, they're fighting for survival, and he wants to talk about how we're playing our music. But it was just interesting, his attention to detail. Uh, and he said, if they didn't, they would be reduced, was how he said it, which meant demoted, but might also mean you're done, like just knock them off, take them out back and shoot them. I don't know what he meant by that, but you would be reduced, and their pay also would be reduced. And so he was confronted. It's just fascinating to me. Music does matter. Worship does matter. And I think we would do well to learn it and, and to enter into it in ways that maybe we have been holding out. By the way, the only one who rightfully should be the object of worship is in the end the one that every tongue and knee will bow before and praise. There's nobody else like that. You're not that hero. I'm not that hero. He's the only one. And so he should be the one teaching us how to prepare for that day. So she says that in verse 25, and then quickly look at verse 26. Jesus saith unto her, after she talks in an abstract sense about the Messiah someday out there, Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Number two, the word of God gives us the hero to experience personally. So to teach us comprehensively in all things. Number two, to experience personally. Some of the moments that I have enjoyed and entered into worship, at least in a, in a, 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 at least a surface way or beyond a surface way with God, have been when, when Jesus and I had a connection, when Jesus and I had a growing relationship, that moment that he and I were together in that moment of worship. And so worship is meant to give us a hero that we can experience personally. Now, in, in our text today, it says, I that speak unto thee am he. Do you notice the word he is in parenthesis or is italicized? One of the beauties of the translation we use in our church is that any word that is, is given to support the flow of the text that's not found in the original is, is, is enunciated or indicated through that italicis. And so what Jesus actually is saying here, I that speak unto thee am. I am. That is a profound statement, and he's not just saying, I exist. He's saying, I'm Jehovah God. I'm, I'm God in the flesh. God had come near to this woman, much more than a prophet. Uh, this was God incarnate, and God wants us to experience who he is through the means of worship, more worship that is shaped and directed by the word of God. Um, you ever heard this question, or you've asked this question, well, how was the worship today? Um, how is the worship today? I don't know that we ourselves can answer that question. I think that's a very self-absorbed question. How was the worship today? Who alone has the right to answer that question? Our, our Jesus, our Lord, our God, He is the one that scrutinizes our worship. That, that, doesn't take, that doesn't free us to do what we want. That adds a level of accountability and sobriety and stewardship that should weigh upon us in a way that produces greater intimacy with Christ. Often we, if we're not careful, we make worship about ourselves, which what is that? Idolatry, a very subtle form of it, but in, in truth it is idolatry. And so if the object of worship is the Son of God, then it matters more than we can imagine to get worship right. Who is the hero of your worship? If it is Jesus, then you have to do it based upon his words, terms. Don't wing it, don't wing it, do it by his word. And very quickly, notice the end of this story in verse 41, and then we'll move to our second point. It says this, after the Samaritans come out, 
based upon the testimony of this Samaritan woman. And many more believed because of his own word and said unto the woman, Now we believe not, uh, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this indeed is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. The only way that our worship can be faithfully evangelistic and faithful in its witness to the world is if it's built upon the word of God. It alone points people to Jesus. All right, number two, the second gift we have from God that we are recipients of that enables us to do worship rightly is we have God's spirit. God's spirit. Go back to verse 23. So we have to worship in truth. There's the word of God. There's its implications in our life that we just studied. We must also worship in spirit. Um, The other day I read this statement. I think this helps us and challenges us maybe as it relates to worship. The author said this, worship has become a thing if not the thing. It's a movement. It's a phenomenon. And in many places, an industry. Worship has become a thing. And what God's Spirit helps us to do is get free of it being sight-based or just felt uh, tangible in its orientation to being spiritually what God longs for it to be. And so God wants our worship not just to be a thing. He wants it to be in spirit. All right, a couple things under that. Number one, we remember or we receive through the Spirit the expectation of worship from God's Spirit. We receive the expectation of worship from God's Spirit. Um, Yesterday, we were at uh, the Weeses and some other families in our community that are battling leukemia, recovering from different forms of cancer. Um, They had a fundraiser, and so Heidi and I went uh, to that in Dalton yesterday morning. It was like, I don't know, felt like 10 below. There's like frost like three inches thick on our windshield. We love the Weeses a lot, so we were still there. Of course, some of you copped out. I'm just kidding. It was a little cool. But we, what was funny is they said, so it was a 2K, two miles, just kind of lapping around the, the very sprawling metropolis of Dalton. Uh, worked our way down Main Street and back to the high school. Uh, and um, they said, those are really fast. You guys get out front, and then the rest of you weak, weaklings, they're going to walk. You're in the back. And we were in the back. We just, we felt like ministering to the elderly folks and those with young kids. We just, we felt like that was our, our sweet spot yesterday. I probably wouldn't be standing right now if I'd been out front and got run over. But anyway, it was funny because there was no, and they had like the official like number, I think I was 436, and on the back was a, a, a metallic strip that when you went through the arch, it would time you. And I think I remember as we, as we, we leaned forward in our, our very fast gate through, I was like, Two miles took me about 38 minutes. Don't laugh. Hey, come on. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I wasn't doing power walking or anything. But there was no expectations. Do it at your pace. Get there when you get there. Hey, it's a win. You made it through. Can I tell you as it relates to worship, it's not open-ended. You today and I today, either we are faithfully worshiping God or we are not. There is a, a concrete standard that the Spirit has given us. And do we measure up, and are we letting God's Spirit help us uh, meet the expectations? I love that God tells us what He's looking for in our worship. And notice what He's looking for in verse 23. The hour cometh and now is. So this is present tense. When true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Notice this. For the Father seeketh such. Here's what He wants. Here's what He expects. Seeketh such to worship Him. Two things under that quickly. Number one, notice the expectation of inclusive location. The expectation of inclusive location. 
Jesus says, here, God wants your worship, not just the Jews, but the Samaritans. He's longing for those who live in any place. He includes all locations uh, in his search for true worship. True worship means that a believer enters the presence of God by faith. He doesn't enter through a temple door. He doesn't enter through uh, some idolatrous place of worship. We enter by faith, and there in that place of faith, we praise and worship Him. By the way, the Jewish people had gotten this all wrong, hadn't they? And I think that's partly why this woman struggled with her view of worship, because the Jewish people had become so focused on the outside, the exterior form and function and ceremony, the pomp and circumstance, if you will. And they thought that by religiously adhering to the letter of the law and going through certain rituals that even they had added, that they were the faithful, quote-unquote, worshipers of the Father. And yet here Jesus says it's not as much about the outward as it is the inward. Listen to me, our bodies can be bowed. Our lips can be singing the right things. We can be showing on the outside all of the things, and yet what God's looking for is still missing. The Spirit alone can help us diagnose that and address that and be in line with what God expects of those who claim to worship Him. Um, We just added a few months ago some directional signs on the front of our building because we have multiple lobbies. We have three or four lobbies in our building, and and, and we have offices with an arrow, and we have worship with an arrow. You see those arrows in your life every day? Worship is meant to be a lifestyle. It's not just to be in this hour we share. Are are you following that? Are you being guided by this this mantra? I am a worshiper of God. I want to do it His way, no matter where I am at. Worship in the Spirit is intended not just to be an event, but to be a lifestyle. All right, in verse 23, he says, The Father seeketh such to worship Him. Number two, jot this down, the expectation of known authenticity. The word there is authenticity. God knows who we are. He longs for our worship to be done in an authentic way. The expectation of known authenticity. God knows who we are today, and may we, as we worship Him, remember that He knows our heart. His Spirit is seeking. His Spirit is revealing. May our worship meet the expectation of authenticity. Who's the Father seeking as it relates to true worshipers? He wants people to live in reality, not in falsehood. Something that's impossible without worship that is guided by the Spirit. One of the interesting things about the relationship between the Spirit and the Word of God is this. Think about this connection today. Not only is worship possible only because of what God has revealed to us in His Word, listen to this, but also what God reveals of us in His Spirit. Um, So it's one thing to know what worship is. It's another thing to recognize where I'm deficient. I need the Spirit to enter into that conversation. Hey, you're missing the bar. You're you're out of bounds here. You're just going in your flesh. You're going in your well-intended feelings and vibes and desires. You're not letting the Word of God and the Spirit of God guide you as you seek to worship the Lord. So God reveals worship to us in His Word. He reveals of us in His Spirit where we need to grow in our worship of Him. And I'll just say this, and we'll move to our last point. You by yourself will not by default become a faithful worshiper of God. You will naturally gravitate toward worshiping yourself more and more, incrementally every day. That's just how we, 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 we steer toward that ditch. We need the Spirit to center us and to guide us, and, and where maybe you're off and I'm uh, tending and trending toward being off, we need more of the Spirit's activity. Let Him reveal where you're falling short. All right, lastly, verse 24. Here's the high watermark of the text today. God is a spirit, 
And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Lastly, jot this down. We receive not only the expectation of worship from God's spirit, we receive the soul, S-O-U-L, the soul of worship from God's spirit. Um, my wife teaches English. Just last night, it, we were at a wedding, and, uh, and she was telling some there at the table what she does for a living. And I was sitting between her, who is an active teacher, with the mom, the grandma of the groom, who was a retired teacher. And they're just lobbing back and forth over top of me. I'm just trying to eat my meal and, you know, watch this couple being in love. And, the, the, and they're talking about teaching, just all this stuff, techniques, and I'm just kind of there. But anyway, they're just, it's a passion. My wife is always helping me with grammar. Um, but the other day I came across, in a loving way, usually, um, but I came across this. I don't even think I've showed this with her, but th- or to her. This is an informal punctuation mark. It's called an interrobang, where you combine an exclamation mark and a question mark. Have you ever had something where it's almost like you want it to be a question, but also like an exclamation? I've had those. I even write sometimes. I'll put question mark, exclamation together. I didn't know you could do them together. An intrabang. Can I tell you our worship is flat, brethren? Because it lacks the bang. It lacks the energy that comes through the Holy Spirit. Um, Listen to me. Worship, when it's done right, is never flat. It's never dull. It never wears thin. In fact, God's going to spend the rest of eternity someday proving to you that that's not true. You're not going to be bored with worship because the Spirit is there. The Spirit is there in ways that often we're not willing to even receive and accept in the present tense. And so there's a, there's a soul to it. There's a, there's a power to it that only comes through the Spirit of God. Notice two things quickly. In verse 24, he says, God is a Spirit. Number one, he reminds us, the Spirit does, of the soul of the invisible audience. God is a spirit, the one who watches, the one who was observing our worship this morning. Yes, he was with us through his spirit, but he is a spirit. He is, he is there as a spirit, and so the spirit reminds us of this invisible audience of our worship. You can view that negatively in a fearful way. God's watching me all week, and so that's a negative, heavy thing. Or you can say, my life, everything I do is an act of worship, and God's watching. He's there. Uh, what a glorious calling we have to be worshipers of God because of this invisible audience known as God. And so God is not just one spirit amongst en- uh, many. It's a declaration of his nature. He is spirit. And so our worship can only be done toward him properly with the help of his spirit. Far too often our worship of God suffers because it is done in a sight-oriented way that focuses upon the tangibles instead of the intangibles. We have today, most of our young people sitting to my left, you do realize every week, and some sitting down front, every week we worship God, we're passing that on to a new generation. It's bigger than this moment. There's intangible things. There's somebody today that's just discouraged and ready to pull the plug, if they will, in their walk with God, and something happened today that encouraged them and comforted them and maybe challenged them. They're intangibles. And those things are only ours, brethren, when we are aligned with and we're receiving the gift of his spirit. All right, then notice the end of verse 24. He says, it must worship him. Notice that word must. Must worship him in spirit and in truth. Lastly, the soul of compelling relationship. It's a must. To have relationship with God requires the spirit of God. And often our worship suffers because we've forgotten we need the spirit of God. 
There's two must. If you were to go back to the beginning of John chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, and he must needs go through Samaria. He had to go there to meet this woman. And as much as that was a must, so is our worship to be done in the Spirit. We must do it in spirit and in truth. It is required if we're to have what God is pleased with in our worship. Interesting thought today as it relates to, I don't know if you thought of it as you've read through this text with us this morning, but many times we think of worship primarily in its, its musical orientation, don't we? Do you see any reference to any musical instruments in John chapter 4? Uh, do you see whatever your preference is or whatever deeply would bother you? I don't know whatever your take is on that. But you see no reference here to bands, organs, keyboards, choirs, drum sets, guitars, lutes, lyres, timbrels, and, and the list goes on of ancient instrumentation or modern kind of orientation that we are familiar with. And Jesus here teaches on worship without ever talking about music. You want to know why? Because the starting point of worship is God, and specifically His Word and His Spirit. All the rest of that is important, but it is a subset of these primary truths. We've been given God's Word, we've been given God's Spirit, and we must steward those in a way that pleases Him. Let's end today in 1 Corinthians 4. Would you turn there for a moment? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, this idea of receiving, making sure that it, it colors and directs our worship. Let's end here today. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 7. Paul talking on some other matters that we don't have time to unpack today, but the application is clear in verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and if you would please, verse 7. Before we read that, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, I think I'm reading right now a biography on Steve Jobs. Uh, if you have an iPhone, you, you owe Stevie, Steve a bunch. But he was a very unique person, and uh, he is now in eternity, died of cancer several years ago. But once he was asked by the man who wrote the biography I'm reading, listen to these words, his spiritual feelings, like what did he feel about eternity and life beyond the grave, life beyond this life? And he said, religion was at its best, listen to this, when it emphasized spiritual experiences more than received dogma. So that's the reference point of Steve Jobs. Religion is at its best, quote-unquote, when it, when it emphasizes spiritual experiences more than received dogma. And then toward the end of the conversation, he again revisited this topic with his biographer who wrote uh, the book I'm reading currently. And Steve Jobs, with that in mind, he said this, I think different religions are different doors to the same house. Sometimes I think the house exists, and sometimes I don't. It's a great mystery. And here's what I see in our day. We have the same mindset. It's experience. Worship is experience. As a result, everything is open for debate and discussion. We have received dogma. We have received truth. This must, with the help of the Spirit, guide and sanctify our worship. Now, with that in mind, look here in verse 7. Paul says this, after saying we're stewards, we're ministers, God has given us so much, we must be faithful, verse 2. Verse 7, for who maketh thee to differ from another? And you could maybe put in that those who worship other gods. And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not 
received it. Everything we have and everything we know about God and we just sung our lungs out about to God is only because God gave it to us. And every one of his gifts is connected to his word and his spirit. May we then worship him with everything we have from him in a way that's aligned with these gifts that he's entrusted to us. Heard this statement, this prayer the other day by a man. He said this, we should consider it the great end of our existence to be found numbered among the worshipers of God. That's the end game. And the way to prepare for that is to be in this word and to be in the spirit aligned with the Lord. Here's the question we'll pray. We allow the God who has given us so much to shape more of our worship by receiving fully his word and his spirit in the areas he's applied today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today.